Our Old Testament reading for this morning comes from Amos chapter 8, starting with verse 4. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading today comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith, and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls of costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This is the word of the Lord.
The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest master, manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we have the very interesting parable of the dishonest manager. It might be one of the more confusing of the parables of Jesus because it makes a comparison to a negative situation where a man is getting fired for his dishonesty, and then Jesus seems to be praising him for some aspect of what's going on in the parable. And this kind of can raise us a question of can Jesus teach by negative examples? And of course, we should answer yes. But he also needs to kind of split the interpretation to show what is commendable about the actions of the dishonest manager. And then, of course, what's the reason why he's getting fired, right? So we'll be able to track that through the parable and Jesus' explanation afterwards to see the comparison and the contrast, what is wise or shrewd about what's going on and what is not commendable and not for you to imitate. So we have... 
the basic outline of the parable, we have this dishonest manager who's called in to give an account of his bookkeeping. Something's wrong. Obviously, he's been uh, mishandling the finances of the master. And he's going to be fired. He gets called on the carpet. And then, subsequently, he makes some quick, last-minute, shady deals to finish cooking the books. And then he's commended for something. And then Jesus follows that by saying that you also ought to use unrighteous wealth in this earth to make friends for yourself. So what is going on? To uncover the meaning, we need to understand the dishonest manager's ploy and why it worked and understand why that manager was commended. And what is, lastly, what does Jesus want us to take away to learn from this parable. So, just again, to review the parable in the, in the situation, these are the characters. You have the rich man or the master. You have his manager who's about to be fired. You have various debtors in the community who owe something to the, man, uh, to the master. And this community is significant because that is where the dishonest manager getting fired hopes to find employment after he gets fired. Why is he fired? Simply for dishonesty. He causes loss to the master's possessions. He's told to hand in the financial records. And his dilemma is, well, how am I going to get a job after this? It's not going to look so well for me. I can't dig, I won't beg. And so he has a clever plan. He still has a, a little bit of time, a very short period of time, where he's got the books in his possession, and he has some opportunity to take action. People don't yet know that he's been fired. So he starts calling in the debtors. He reviews what they owe. He slashes the debt. He reduces it. He does it in their handwriting. You change the receipt. And this pads his landing. It pads his landing so that when he's thrown out of the master's house, he's beloved by the community. Now, admittedly, this is a gamble, right? And the gamble is that, is the master really going to honor these cancellations of debt? Because if that were the end of the story, if he's like, no, <laughs> none of those cancellations are uh, acceptable, and they all still owe the full amount, then there's no friends to hire you afterwards. There's no friends to welcome you in their homes, and you sort of lose the point of the parable. Right? If that's Ebenezer Scrooge, who says, nope, you're going to owe and pay back every dime, then... It doesn't work. So that is the bet of the dishonest manager. If he had reversed those reductions, they wouldn't have um, been his friends. So what made this work? It's the implied good reputation, the mercy, mercy and the generosity of the, manor, of the ma master, not the manager. And this is the kind of man who would allow such cancellations to stand. But why? What is so shrewd, what is so clever in the dishonest manager's ploy? First of all, he knows the character of the master, that he's not going to overturn these cancellations. And secondly, it's sort of like a triple win. It's, and what I mean by that is that it is a win for the master's reputation. Because what do all the debtors now think of the master? 
what a wonderful, generous master, this rich man. He's canceled our debt. He's reduced it. Uh, he's given us this. So, man, we really love this master, right? And it's a win for the dishonest manager because he's going to have friends still when he's fired. He's going to find reception into their homes. And it's a win for the community because the community has their debt reduced. So the master wins by the gain of his reputation. So is it a loss to the master or is it a gain to the master? The gamble is that the master sees this as a gain for everyone. You clever dog, you. <laughs> Look what you did. <laughs> you, you managed to steer this in a way so that everyone reaps a benefit and it's a little bit like the movie Ocean's 13. Have any of you ever seen the movie Ocean's 13 about a, uh, a heist that takes place in a Las Vegas uh, casino? And the uh, team of uh, would-be robbers, they all get together and they conspire uh, to, to steal a huge sum of money from this very rich uh, casino tycoon. And then afterwards, um, they ended up donating all, or they, 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 promised, uh, they promised to repay the money, but instead they donated to a charity in his name. So if he reveals the crime to get the money back, he takes the money away from the charity. But by letting it stand, he loses all the money, but he gets a great reputation because what a generous casino owner, he just gave all this money to charity. So privately he's tricked out of money, but publicly he's a hero, and to get his stolen money back from the innocent would ruin the good PR for his reputation. And so a little bit like that, in the parable, the master is good, he's innocent of the schemes of the dishonest manager, but in the end he still enjoys the high opinion of his forgiven debtors. Okay, so that's the ploy. So how does all apply to God and to us? What is the spiritual lesson behind it in the parable? And again, notice that this is a parable of contrast. There's a split decision here between what is commendable and worth your imitation and what is not to be commended is not worth your imitation. And also that we see what's similar and different about God. The dishonest manager is the antithesis of Jesus. Jesus is the good and faithful servant. No, let's change that. He's a good and faithful son in the master's house, the father's house. He has right to all the possessions. He oversees all the, the wealth and the riches of God, but he is trustworthy in every respect. He manages it with generosity, but also faithfulness to the father. Both the heavenly Father and the master in the parable have a good reputation and both can be assumed as known as merciful. The dishonest manager takes advantage of that reputation in his final gamble, a gamble that pays off by him making friends and getting a job later. But Jesus Christ, by contrast, he makes no gambles. He knows the Father's will inside and out. He doesn't abuse or take advantage of the Father's possessions, but he acts in full harmony with the Father's will. He does exercise God's mercy for great gain to the community. And not by partial debt cancellation, but by total debt cancellation. 
by the total forgiveness of the debt of all of our sins. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that creates thankfulness and joy among us, just like it did in the community that received this reduction of debt. We receive joy and love for our Master, for our Heavenly Father, out of the unfathomable kindness and mercy of God. And unlike the parable of the dishonest manager, both the father and the son together assume great loss for the good of mankind. God graciously and undeservedly assumes all the costs of our sin and evil, all our debts. Jesus died a suffering death on the cross for it. He accepted the punishment and cost of sin as the price of an incredible transaction. His own death for us became the ransom delivering us from the power of sin. So we are the community here, we are the community that is born out of a great debt cancellation, a great debt forgiveness. The total cancellation of our sins. Colossians 2 describes it. It says that God made us alive through Christ Jesus. How? By forgiving our sins canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, nailing it to the cross. Total cancellation. Dealing with God is no gamble about God's debt forgiveness. It's not clenching your teeth wondering, is God good enough to forgive me? No, if you are humble, if you are repentant before God, your forgiveness is a sure thing. It is a certainty. His reputation, his promises, his track record, they are sure. We have Jesus' promises of forgiveness. We have the Holy Spirit's guarantee. Scripture says the Spirit's guarantee is a down payment. It's a down payment in our hearts. God has the world's best and only true debt forgiveness plan, forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. We think in terms of a transaction, because that's the metaphor here. It is the forgiveness of sins that God took great loss upon himself for us to be relieved of great debt before him. His infinite riches caused his loss to become our great gain. So then, one last thing. What is the lesson for us? How do we use riches? And Jesus says in truly puzzling words, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. This little passage is explained well in a quote. The wise way to lay up treasure in heaven is to use one's money for God here on earth. That will give a cash account of joyful welcome in heaven. Not a purchased entrance. A cash account of joyful welcome, not of purchased entrance. So that is how we use God's riches here on earth. We use them for the good of our neighbor, to love and serve and bless others in generosity, 
so that we can receive joyful welcome, not purchased entrance. On earth, we have all different amounts of money, wealth, material possessions, talents, abilities. And all this material stuff, it will eventually fail. It'll run out, it'll be lost, it'll be taken away. But finally, when you die, none of it gets taken with you. The question is, how to use it in this life? Is it all for yourself? Is it all about me? Or is it for others? And for the kingdom of God? To be clear, we cannot buy our way into the kingdom of heaven. There's no hint of that here, and other passages show we can't buy or earn our way to heaven. But help others. Help others with your money, your material goods here on earth. They will be thankful to you in heaven. Listen to that quote one more time. The wise way to lay up treasure in heaven is to use one's money for God here on earth. That way, you will have a cash account of joyful welcome there, not of purchased entrance. God's riches, God's mercy, all your material goods, they are at your disposal. They are at your disposal to bless your neighbor in generosity. And we have seen this in Christ Jesus. God invites us to use his possessions that he has given to us. Use them to the benefit and gain of those in need and serving his name. Through honesty and faithfulness to what he has given us. Honesty and faithfulness in little, you will be entrusted with much. Dishonest in little, dishonest in much. Dishonest with other people's stuff. No, you're not going to get more. So understand that. Understand that he wants us to be honest, to be good managers, to be good stewards, but also use your stuff for the blessing of others. God truly has one servant, perfect and faithful over all God's house as a son. Jesus was entrusted with much. He was entrusted with the management and care of our souls, and he was faithful. He faithfully delivers our souls to his eternal kingdom. Jesus was a faithful manager of all God's house because he poured out God's generosity and forgiveness and the riches of God to all who were in need. Putting our trust in him, truly, it's no gamble. It is a sound, sound, confident promise and trust in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Thank you.